The Watership Down podcast is intended for listeners who are familiar with the plot. There may be spoilers. This episode is scripted by Newell Fisher, with script assistance by John Ruths, and is narrated, recorded and edited by Newell Fisher. Hello, and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 87, in which we will be going through section 26 of the 1978 film. The Battle of Watership Down, Part 1. Just one quick bit of borough keeping first. Following my attempt last week to guess who voiced the two Ephraffan diggers who were spooked by Fiverr's voice, on the podcast Facebook group, Kirsty Whiting has reminded me that Derek Griffiths voiced Cherville as well as Vervain. We met Cherville in the film when Bigwig assaulted him at the start of the escape from Ephraffa. He was wounded by Bigwig, but we don't know how badly. Also, his voice was characterised very differently to this Ephraffan. However, this shows that Griffiths was used to voice more than one rabbit. Also, having seen him on children's television in the 70s myself, I seem to remember that he was good at doing different voices, so he seems certain to be one of the voices here, but that still leaves the matter of the other one. So, let's hear even more new voices at Nuthanger Farm. Section 26. The Battle of Watership Down, Part 1. This section covers from 77 minutes to 79 minutes 40, and the equivalent chapters from the book are 45, Nuthanger Farm Again, 46, Bigwig Stands His Ground, and 48, Dea Ex Machina. Having left Blackavar in the honeycomb as he prepares for his last stand against Woundwort, the music is suddenly light yet urgent. We see Hazel and the three runners, Dandelion, Blackbury and Heisenslay, arriving at the foot of the down. A closer shot shows them stopping at the foot of the electricity pylon at the foot of Wardship Down. The last time we were here, it was with Fiverr as he sought out the wounded Hazel as a result of one of his visions. Now we are here again as a result of another vision. But this time there is no dreamy staring up into the struts of the pylon. Hazel gives his instructions to Heisenthle. Their succinctness suggests he has explained the plan in full to the three of them on the way down the scarp slope. He tells her to hide by one of the southern legs of the pylon and that, when the time comes, it will all depend on her. She must get back to the warren. She says she will be ready. And now a tracking shot of Hazel running through the rapeseed field we saw Fiverr pass through. Hazel, in his mind, is praying to Frith. This is the only expression of the rabbit religion we see in the film, apart from the blessing, you could call it, over Bigwig's body in the snare before it turns out he is still alive. As he begins to pray, he puts up a small group of birds. The camera follows them, flying right to reveal Dandelion and Blackberry following him. Hazel says to Lord Frith that he knows how much he has already done for them, that he knows it is wrong to ask even more. As Hazel says that his people are in terrible danger, we see Bigwig, back in the warren, looking up in concern as he hears something above ground. Behind him, Pipkin, Fiverr and three does look on. Pipkin looks scared. Fiverr does not. Next, we see sunlight breaking through a hole as, a, as it is unblocked. 
then Woundwort, ready to kill, drops into the run. As we see this, Hazel says to Frith that he would like to make a bargain with him, his life for those of his people. As he finishes saying this, we see the three rabbits crossing the road at the foot of the rise leading to Nuthanger Farm. They begin to run up the lane leading to the farm. And now a close-up of the running Hazel from below and to the left of him as he receives his reply from Lord Frith. Hazel looks to his left, towards the sun, as the booming tones of Michael Horden, who we last heard telling the only tale of Ella Herrera to appear in the film at its very start, deliver his reply. It is a reply given in the book to Ella Herrera himself by the Black Rabbit of Inlay when Ella Herrera offered his life as well. And it is appropriate that it is spoken by the same voice as that which told the tale of the blessing of Ella Herrera, as this is the only other quotation from one of the other tales in the film. Frith says that there is not a day or night but a doe offers her life for her kittens, or an honest captain of Alza his life for his chief. The next part of the quote is missed out. Quote, sometimes it is taken, sometimes it is not. End quote. Frith gets to the point. There is no bargain. What is, is what must be. Another part of the quote that is missed out is, quote, here, what is, is what must be. End quote as this was a reference to the terrible stone warren of the Black Rabbit of Inlay, whereas Frith is referring to the whole world. As Frith starts speaking, the shot switches to what Hazel is seeing, a tracking shot of the sun passing behind the bushes on the western side of the lane. But this is a sun that pulsates in and out of the stylized sun we saw at the beginning of the film, with arrows radiating from it and extended sun rays moving in and out from its core. As we see this sun, the sky darkens, then returns to the summer sky each time the natural sun returns. This is the first of two occasions in the film, outside of the beginning, where we see this stylized sun. It seems to represent Hazel's worldview, his view of the supernatural, if you will, which is both ironic and beautiful when we consider what we will, will have just happened to Hazel the next time we see it, right at the end of the film, in about seven minutes' time. And now we are firmly back in the material world, as we see Hazel, Dandelion and Blackberry arrive at a tree stump some way up the lane to Nuthanger. They are all breathing heavily. Hazel tells Blackberry this is where he will be left. He is to stay close and not move. Close to what? The tree stump? He also tells him not to break too soon, meaning start to run really fast. At this point I expect anyone who had not read the book and was watching the film for the first time might be starting to guess what Hazel is planning. With a simple confirmation that Blackberry understands, Hazel and Dandelion are off again, leaving Blackberry to hide behind the tree stump. All the while, in the background, a light yet urgent flute version of the main Warship Down theme has been playing. Despite the urgency, the scene is light and summery. It is all too easy for, to forget why these rabbits are in the open, running towards a farm. Well, now we get a shocking reminder of why. One that does not happen in the book. For in the novel Warship Down... Not one member of the Warren on Watership Down dies as a result of the Efrafen attack. The filmmakers took the decision that this should not be the case here. With a sudden shift in musical tone to the Mars-like one I previously mentioned during the escape from Efrafa, we see Woundwort prowling the runs of the Warren, looking from side to side for rabbits to kill. We see his point of view now, as Blackavar, looking almost demonic in his wide-eyed hatred, screams the word General as he jumps out in front of him. It is not, this is not even a surprise attack, such as the one Bigwig will launch shortly. 
it is born of pure rage. One cannot help thinking Blackavar is beyond caring about his own life. Blackavar launches himself at Woundwart with a scream. Woundwart, with dreadful efficiency, cuffs him to the ground, claws at him a couple of times. Then his mouth dips just out of shot for the killing bite. We do not actually see Blackavar die, but we hear it. And in case we missed it, Woundwart lifts his just limp body into shot by his just ripped out throat. The scarlet blood all over Blackavar and Woundwart's mouth is copious and truly shocking. As an 11-year-old watching this film at the cinema in 1978, this was the second of two traumatising moments, the first being the surreal visualisation of the destruction of Sandalford. Leaving Blackavar's visibly bleeding out corpse on the floor of the run, Woundwart moves on. The music, in recognition of the tragedy that has just unfolded, dips to a mournful version of a more familiar theme used in the interludes on the journey to Watership Down. For a longer in-depth discussion on Blackavar's significance at this moment, courtesy of Owsler member Jamie Club, I refer you to episode 78 without hesitation. For my part, I will just open the following can of worms and move on. Blackavar is a dark-furred character, voiced by a black actor. At the time this film came out, a phenomenon was being increasingly mentioned in cinema, the truth of which has been debated ever since. Namely, that black act characters usually die first. Is his death here, and let me emphasise that he does not die in the book, an example of this? To quote Chandler from Friends, quote, Can open worms everywhere, end quote. Moving on. Now we are behind the wall with Bigwig and brave little Pipkin. Behind them, in the run, we see two does and fiver. Bigwig is lying on his front in a dip that has been dug out of the floor of the run. Pipkin has clearly been given instructions and moves down the run to a pile of earth that he starts to dig over Bigwig, burying him in the floor of the run. In his fear, and his last comedic moment, we see him step on Bigwig's head accidentally as he moves in the other direction. Bigwig registers his annoyance at this silently. Then Pipkin completes the covering of Bigwig's head before swallowing nervously and moving away from the group and towards Woundward. Pipkin's bravery here, though different to the book where he volunteers to stay with the still unconscious fiver, cannot be doubted. He is the most vulnerable rabbit in the warren and amongst the most courageous. And now we are at Nuthanger Farm. For the first time we see it in the middle of the day. Dandelion and Hazel arrive at some long grass by an open gate. With just a moment's hesitation, they enter the farmyard. There is birdsong. We hear the distant sound of a cow. We see the dog, asleep in his kennel. He wakes momentarily and scratches behind his ear, then back to sleep. Hazel and Dandelion have reached an old wall partly demolished just opposite the kennel. Taking shelter behind some bricks, Hazel tells Dandelion to lie in the grass just opposite the dog. Dandelion looks back and, smiling, says to Hazel Ra that if they meet again, they will have the makings of the best story ever. His good humour in the face of extreme peril is impressive. Hazel comments that Dandelion will be the one to tell it. Without another word, Dandelion moves even closer to the dog, directly into its line of sight if it wakes up. Moving in the other direction, around the other side of the bricks, Hazel flanks the kennel. A closer shot of the side of the kennel now. 
As Hazel moves to climb onto its roof via a cloth-covered hay bale, the dog seems to rouse again, shaking its head. Then back to sleep. Hazel reaches the roof of the kennel. Double-checking the dog is asleep, in a close-up he quickly gets to work on the rope that secures the dog to the kennel by its roof. The dog yawns. Hazel stops, moving slightly away from the edge of the roof. Then he carries on chewing. But then he looks up to his left. He has seen something. As the camera shot changes to one from behind Hazel, we see what? The cat Hazel met before has seen Dandelion hiding where the dog can see him. She is approaching from the direction of the bricks he was just at with Dandelion. Did she see them there? In any case, Dandelion is so focused on the dog that he has not realised. Without thinking twice, Hazel stamps an alarm on the roof of the kennel. He too is now in clear view of the cat. Instantly the dog is awake and not looking very happy about the noise. Things move quickly and a flourish of somewhat incongruously light music plays as they do. Having heard the noise, the dog instantly sees Dandelion. The cat is nearly on him. The dog leaps up and barks, lunging forward. Probably thinking this means Hazel is through the rope, Dandelion bolts. The cat lands right where he was the slightest moment later. For a long time I thought Dandelion spotted the cat just in time, but looking closely it seems not. He never even realises the danger. But the rope is not through completely. As the dog reaches its fullest extent, we see it tighten and the kennel with Hazel on it wobble. The dog is seen from the side, up on its hind legs, its entire front half lifted off the ground by the taut rope, still just about attached to the kennel. A close-up on the chewed section of rope on the tilting kennel roof, we see that Hazel is losing his footing. A shot from further off. The rope snaps, just as the kennel tips over, spilling Hazel onto the ground. The cloth that was on the kennel falls onto him. We see the dog, trailing its rope, running furiously out of the farmyard after Dandelion. The plan is working. We see a perturbed Hazel emerge from under the cloth. His part is done, but the fall cannot have been good for his injured leg. Indeed, he glances at it irritably. And then, shockingly, there is the sound of Hazel being winded as the cat lands on him with all her weight. The music stops. The next shot, sadly, is the last one of the young Hazel in the whole film. It is a dreadful tableau. The squirming and terrified Hazel is pinned down by the vengeful-looking grey cat. It clearly remembers his first visit to Nuthanger, where he taunted it as part of his plan to get away with Pipkin. But this is Hazel after his injury at the hands of a shotgun, sustained on his next ill-fated visit. A slower Hazel. A Hazel who scrabbles desperately at the ground trying to get away as the cat tightens her claws on him and says in Lynn Farley's smooth, menacing tones, Can you run? I think not. I think not. As the cat narrows her eyes and lets out a sadistic whispered laugh, the camera zooms in and rolls its view slightly, ready for the killing of Hazel. But for the second time, Lucy the farm girl, voiced by Michelle Price, intervenes. All we hear is, Tab? Tab! Instantly, the self-satisfied look is gone from the cat. The human has spoiled her fun. She begins to release Hazel and back off. We find out no more about what happened to Hazel. All we know at the end of the film is that he survived.
Farewell, young Hazel Ra. We shall see you again soon. Comparison with the book. In the book, Hazel and his runners leave for Nuthanger towards the end of a long night, during which the Ephrathans, having abandoned other ways in, burrow directly down into the honeycomb. Blackberry is told to wait at the road at the end of the lane leading to Nuthanger, leaving just one other runner, Dandelion. Heisenthal, as said earlier, does not take part. The intention is to use the iron tree or pylon as a hiding place, if needed, on the way back to the warren, as well as hedgerows. Leading the dog back to the down is not intended to be a single uninterrupted run. Events at Nuthanger unfold more or less as in the film, though at first light rather than in the middle of the day. And we obviously learn more about Hazel's thinking. For example, he plans to hide out under the raised barn until his leg recovers from the fall off the kennel. However, once caught by the cat, we learn nothing of the intervention of Lucy until the fighting on Watership Down is over. And then we learn everything about what happened to Hazel from a human perspective. Next time, the Battle of Watership Down reaches its terrible conclusion. Mm -hmm.